Welcome back, everyone, to the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damon here with my co-hosts, David and Matt, this week, going over the division races that are tar- starting to tighten up. We've had some uh, divisions clinched already. Uh, we got Canada making a major uh, philosophy change, I guess you want to call it, getting ready before the postseason, which is going to be big for some teams. Uh, some off-season news that usually we get there, but a team has hired the president of baseball operations. And then a couple little injury news and concerns. But f- before we jump into all of that, how are you doing, David? I'm doing good. I'm tired. Got to play some wiffle ball today at uh, after work, so we'll uh, <laughs> see if I can make it through here. But uh, had a good week, and hopefully we're ready for uh, playoff baseball coming up. How you doing, yeah, so Matt? Hi. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, just uh, had a had a pretty good week, and uh, I uh, watching a lot of sports, watching all the baseball, of course, watching some football as well, and uh, pretty tired, but. Uh, yeah, things are going things are going good. So I'm ready to get into some uh, baseball talk this week. We're uh, just a few weeks left in the season, and it's it's getting fun. So yeah. So before we jump right in, I wanted to address kind of the, what happened with last week's episode. Um, somehow in the the I guess time between recording and when it processed into I downloaded it, something happened with the audio files between all three of ours, um, and it got all messed up on the podcast side. I really didn't have a way i didn't know that until wednesday um didn't have a way to really fix it so i'm sorry if anyone listened to episode 96 it's messed up i have no way to really fix it so i will try to be better at looking at that moving forward but we'll just jump in and hope that this is a lot better episode than that was last week because it was all scrambled on our end as well but let's go ahead and start with canada um it was announced today that canada is going to be dropping the vaccine requirements for travelers uh should be beginning on september 30th which is right before the end of the regular season and that's going to be big news for some of those teams that have to go to canada in a potential playoff series uh if they have some guys who are still on the unvaccinated status yeah um i mean without getting in the political part of it this does for baseball um i mean it's, I think it's great for baseball because I think it's a shame that, you know, some players weren't going to be able to play there. I mean, and we weren't going to have a full, you know, ability to see what's going on in an actual play in the, in the playoff series out there, if, if that had been the case. But uh, I, I know there were a couple of Yankees that, that were not allowed to play out there. And then uh, I'm sure there's been players from some of the other AL teams. I know that I think the, the Astros had a couple maybe too. But, um, you know, we don't know who the Blue Jays will match up with. But um, we'll see what happens. But I, I'm, I'm glad that, the, that that's not going to have an impact on the postseason. That's really good news. David, yeah, I think it's – yeah, I was going to say it's it's good that um, it's coming now, you know, before the playoffs hit. But, um, you know, it, it does put all these teams at a competitive equ- you know, equilibrium where – uh, you know, Tampa Bay is going to be traveling to Toronto if the season were to end today. Um, for I, I'm pretty sure the wild card is two games at the other team's home stadium, and then if the, the third game goes, if needed, right? I, I it's no, been I a minute since I've checked that that new playoff system too. Yeah, I, I, it's a three game series at the home at the. Oh, there you go. Teams yeah, right. Stadium. And Toronto's Toronto's got that right now. They're the best wild card team in the AL, so uh, Canada would be hosting a playoff game or pull playoff series and, and that would make that may put another team at a disadvantage. So, um, you know, that's good for everyone else. Maybe bad for the blue Jays, uh, kind of gives up a little bit of a competitive advantage for them, but, um, you know, it's going to be important to, um, 
you know, determine who's the best team. I mean, the Blue Jays aren't even out of the AL, uh, the AL East yet, so uh, they could be hosting multiple series uh, deep into the playoffs. That's, I think, a team that I would have predicted early in this, like before the season this year, to be a, a World Series contender, and I think they can still get there with that potent offense. Well, you will learn uh, our preseason predictions do not go well on the show. Uh, we'll, we'll hit on that later on, but. You know, moving over to the American League Central there, the Detroit Tigers uh, finalized their hire of Giants general manager Scott Harris uh, as their player uh, or president of baseball operations this week. Yeah, um, you know, I, I I know that he's been – I've read and heard that he's supposed to be a rising star in the profession and that a lot of people are – know really really like him obviously the Giants uh, you know have done a really good job the last couple years of uh, you know in in free agency of identifying players that they can go out and get without having to give up a ton for them stuff like you know some of the pitchers they've been able to go out and get they've done a really good job identifying which ones are going to perform well Uh, you know they brought bring in a guy like Carlos Rodon bringing in Kevin Gossman a couple years ago they've done a really solid job Uh, obviously he wasn't running the, the show there but at the same time, he was, um, you know, he was he was a big part of, you know, helping out and, and being a, a big part of that front office. And I think uh, Detroit really needs somebody who's a little bit more analytically minded. They've gone out the last couple of years. They've gotten a lot of players who are more, um, you know, kind of your traditional type guys. Uh, and it hasn't worked. So they they really need somebody like like a like a Scott Harris to come in and hopefully do a good job there. Uh, that is a really tough situation because I think that the Tigers have a couple of really bad contracts that are new and a lot of their prospects that just came up are really struggling. So hopefully, um, you know, hopefully they, they're able to, you know, have some of those prospects really turn into something. But right now uh, that's a tough job, but uh, you know, we'll see what the, we'll see what the guy can do. Let's, uh, hopefully he gets a really good shot there and uh, does a good job for them. Yeah, Scott Harris was in the Cubs front office from 2012 to 2019, and uh, you know they, that's when the Cubs went on their run of winning the World Series, and he, he came ac- along with Theo Epstein uh, there in 2012, and he got poached by Farhan uh, in in 2019 by the Giants, when, and I think that's a an indication that that Scott Harris is a really good baseball mind, and, and Theo Epstein's had absolutely nothing but uh, massive praise. For Scott Harris, uh, you know, I pulled an article from 2019 that said, you know, we loved working with him and he was a huge part of our culture um, and that he, this, this guy did a whole lot of like responsibilities as the Cubs. Uh, I think he was like their director of um, scouting operations or something to that effect where he was, invi- you know, going out and finding, you know, talent. And he's he's really, you know, one of those guys that's going to be. I think a GM or a president of baseball operations to lead a team into a competitive window um, that we're kind of seeing, you know, with since, you know, Billy Bean and Moneyball, uh, we've really seen the rise of these kind of analytical Harvard style minds. And, and Scott Harris is just the latest of that, um, that group. Uh, he was good in the Cubs. He was good in the Giants. I see no reason that he won't be able to turn around Detroit. And it, I think it's pretty clear from those old comments by Theo Epstein um, when he left the Cubs that this is a guy who can build a culture and the Tigers need a, a massive culture shift because I don't think their problem this year was so much a, a matter of players. 
like you know Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson. It wasn't a matter of talent. It wasn't a matter of contracts, right? Because Javi Baez is still a good baseball player. Eduardo Rodriguez is still a good pitcher. It was a matter of they did not make any sort of adjustments, and their players seemed to all get worse once they hit the major leagues. Um, and I think you got to have a top-down approach that is, you know, creating that culture that's going to to win you baseball games where it seems like in Detroit, the pressure got put on all their players to succeed after their big off season. And it really just tumbled them down the order and, and created a, a maybe a big question mark and, and got a lot of people fired. So uh, you, you got to see if this guy can lead you. And I think that Scott Harris is the perfect guy for that because Detroit has a whole lot of talented players but he's going to have to rebuild the coaching staff. He's going to have to rebuild the front office. He's got to hire a, G- a GM, I think, still. So uh, I'd look out for that, especially before free agency, because Detroit always tends to spend a lot of money. Uh, and this free agent class is pretty stacked. And, and they do have some really good young players, so they could be involved in the trade market as well. So uh, I imagine Scott Harris is going to be dangerous uh, for the rest of this offseason. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, I mean, I think what it allows is you're going to see them take the more analytical approach. Detroit has always been one of the people or one of the teams that has always been more stubborn with the old school of baseball uh, and in their history and stuff. So it, to get a guy in there who you've seen what the Giants have done, they match up better than anybody. They platoon a lot more. They they don't push a guy past his limit and on the pitching staff. I think you're going to see that a lot with Detroit moving forward. Um, you know, especially with those young guys, maybe it's, Hey, we're not going to develop you as seven, eight inning guys or six inning guys. Even it's like, maybe you're just going to be a five and dive guy. We've seen the giants have success with a guy like Alex Wood, Anthony DiSclefani. And at times before Kevin Gossman really broke out last year, he was kind of that same guy, um, for them. So I wonder what that approach is going to be like with the young guys moving forward on the pitching staff side. Um, and then they just need to develop that, that those young star hitters that they have, cause they have a, a wealth of talent there in the minor leagues that once those guys all start playing, like we've seen the past month and a half, Riley green has been one of the best hitters in baseball. Um, overall, his approach has been a lot better. He's been hitting the ball over the place. Um, and you need to see that adjustment from Spencer Torkelson as well. But I, I mean, I was really high on the tigers coming into the year and I still think that approach is there. And I think the Scott Harris hires just even more fantastic for that team in the next three to four years to be really successful. But let's go ahead and jump over to sort of the, uh, the injury front per se. And we'll start with the New York Yankees where they had their big deadline acquisition of Frankie Montas ended up going on the IL uh, shows like the MRI didn't show any structural damage should be shut down for about 10 days and then they'll, they'll pick it back up from there. Uh, but they are getting their other big name uh, deadline acquisition back actually just activated today with Harrison Bader. Yeah, so starting with Frankie Montas, um, you know, this was a concern for, for the trade. Uh, you know, back when he was with Oakland, remember a couple weeks before he had to get pulled from a start early because of shoulder discomfort. And then he ended up, uh, you know, avoiding the IL and stuff then, missed one start, came back, looked fine, and the trade went through as, as was planned. But, uh, you know, ever since he's been with in New York, something's been off with him. I mean, he's got a 635 ERA in 39 and two-thirds innings as a Yankee. Uh, his strikeouts are way down. His uh, walks are way up. He's given tons of home runs. Um, his, uh, you know, his fastball velocity is down a half a point on average. Um, you know, it's been really rough for him since he got to New York. 
And, you know, there could be a lot of explanations for that, but one of them could be injury. And he might be, might've been pitching through a shoulder problem, which never typically never works out very well. And of course, uh, you know, now he's going on the IL with shoulder discomfort. The good news, like you said, is that it sounds like he, he is going to be okay. He doesn't, there's no th- like major structural damage that's going to keep him out for months and months. We'll see, you know, we've only got, you know, two weeks left in the season. So we'll see if he's able to make it back in time for the end of the regular season. You know, I guess that'll be more than so that's, you know, maybe make one more regular season start or, or make a postseason start. But uh, definitely, uh, definitely a problem for the Yankees. They gave up a lot of talent to get him too. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a bummer for them if he doesn't, doesn't do well and isn't able to pitch much in the postseason this year and then only get him really as a one-year rental for the price they gave up. That would be pretty rough for him. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully he gets better and, and soon. First thing is that you guys keep calling Bader and Montas the only additions for the Yankees, but they added Scott Efros also, who uh, is also injured. <laughs> so uh, yeah, the Yankees did not seem to do all that well when on the injury front at the deadline. But um I, I, I went and checked Ken Waldachuk's uh, stats because he just debuted with Oakland a few weeks ago. He's got a 7.35 ERA. So um, don't know that the Yankees are really kicking themselves just yet, but Montas is definitely a, a problem. And I, I wonder who's going to make those playoff starts for the Yankees going forward. I mean, you know, the whole point of adding him was that they had these big gaps in their rotation with uh, uh, Severino going down again and, I mean, you've got Garrett Cole, Nestor Cortez, and Jamison Talon, and they, they look really strong as a 1-2-3 in the playoff rotation. But, I mean, are they going to go bullpen game for that fourth game? I just don't know. And uh, Montas was supposed to solve that, and he kind of hasn't. So um, I don't think you can even rely on him in the playoffs if he does come back. It, it just wouldn't be smart, I don't think. It'd be kind of guaranteeing yourself a loss in that fourth game. I mean, you might see Domingo Herman. I mean, he's been pretty solid for them, you know, as a as a four or five inning guy. Um, I, I could see them starting with Herman and then going to the bullpen early. You know, it's just, yeah, let him go one time through the order, maybe part of a second time, and then get him out and, and go to a kind of a de facto bullpen game in that way, where you're kind of using a a long man, is what you know a lot of teams used to say. Yeah, that's, yeah, I think that's tough for, I was going to say that, that's tough for the Yankees too, because I mean they've. I know they added a frost and he's injured. Right. And then, mm-hmm. you know, like Michael King's injured clay Holmes, I think is back, but he hadn't really been all that reliable, uh, at times down the stretch. I mean, they have a lot of, uh, you know, their bullpen's not near as deep as it was early in the season. So that's kind of a yeah, big I, deal for that, that type of game too. I've got I, my idea for the Yankees in that fourth game is probably you throw Herman one time through the order and then you go to Clark Schmidt for the second time through the order. You go righty lefty, you know, you change the look. That's probably what they're going to have to do. Each of them throws three innings and then you turn to the back end of your bullpen. Hopefully you have Efros back. You have Clay Holmes, Lucas Luch, uh, you know, Wandy Peralta has been okay. And, you know, I think they can make it work. The Yankees are still a formidable team. Uh, don't count them out by any means, but there's definitely been a clear reason why that lead in the division has slipped to, I think it's now five games over the the Blue Jays, uh, to where the Yankees look vulnerable. And uh, they didn't look vulnerable earlier in the year. They looked like they were going to pull a, a Dodgers and win 110 games. So um, the injuries biting them and you know they, they, 
they're going to be one of the big stories entering the playoffs with such a potent offense. And then this kind of question mark in the rotation and in the bullpen with these injuries, uh, the Yankees may be one of the more fascinating teams because they, the, the Yankee fans, the Yankee you know players, they expect a world series. You know, it's been a while tw- since 2009, since the Yankees have won a world series, you know, this feels like their year with a guy going for maybe the best offensive season we've ever seen. And yeah, yeah they'd hate to waste it. Yeah, for sure. Especially when that guy's probably not going to be on the Yankees anymore. So, yeah. possibly. Mm. I won't say probably. I'll say possibly. Ooh. Hot takes. Yeah, for the for the off season, we'll have a predictions episode on that one. But uh, you know, let, let's stay on the injury front there, and we'll jump over to the National League side now. Um, and it's with your Atlanta Braves, Matt, where Ozzy Albies, who had just came back off of a broken foot, I believe, uh, just a couple games in, and then ends up fracturing his, I believe it's his right pinky. Um, and is going to be out for the rest of the regular season. There is a possibility that he could come back sometime in the playoffs, although I don't think there's a clear timetable on when they're looking for that yet. Yeah, so um, you, you kind of hit it right there. I mean, I would go on about how, you know, what missing Aussie Albies will do to the Braves, but we've been seeing it for three months already. But, um, I mean, I, I hate it for him because he worked really hard to get back from a broken foot, and then it's like literally two games later he's already injured again. Uh, it really stinks for him. And, uh, you know, I love Ozzy Albies. I think he's a great personality. He means a lot more to the Braves than just the fact that he's a really good player too, which uh, I guess part, part of that could be, you know, he can still be a part of the clubhouse and stuff. But uh, I hate to see him break his finger. Um, the good news is that, like you said, it's not, you know, some kind of like extremely severe injury where he's going to miss like, you know, it might rule him out part of next year or something. And there's a slight chance that he could come back, you know, in the playoffs if it's, you know, maybe if the Braves make it to the NLCS or something, he could potentially maybe come back. But, um, you know, at this point, like you've been riding with, uh, you know, you've been riding with Vaughn Grissom at second. He's done really well there. So, you know, I don't know if it would even be worth it to rush Ozzy back, even if he could maybe play at some point in the playoffs just because Vaughn Grissom's been playing really well and it would take Ozzy a couple weeks to get his timing back down again anyways. So, uh, you know, I think it's definitely something where, you know, it probably does take him out for the year, but, uh, you know, I, I hate it for him. It's just, he's had a lot of freak injuries in his career. And when he's in the minor leagues, he had a broken elbow on a really weird, like he swung the bat and it just broke his elbow really weird. And, he dealt with, the, uh, you know, that broken foot was also on a swing, which was extremely weird. And now a, a broken pinky from diving into third base or second base. Uh, you know, I think it actually got stepped on. I think he dove in and then it got stepped on. So, um, you know, it's just, it's a shame. But, I mean, hopefully he, um, you know, ho- hopefully hopefully he, you know, recovers. And you never know. Maybe we do see him again in the playoffs. I will say that this may actually be advantageous for the Braves where you're not playing a, what is currently about a 30% worse hitter than Vaughn Grissom has been. Vaughn Grissom's got a 128 WRC plus Ozzy Albies has 92 this season. And that's not Ozzy Albies true potential. He's usually about a 105 to 110 WRC plus guy, but I mean, the way he's hit this year and the way he's played this year, last year he stole 20 bases. This year he's got three in, in three, almost 300 plate appearances. So, uh, you know, it's been a, a less explosive season from Ozzy Albies, and, and Vaughn Grissom's definitely come in and been that kind of explosive talent for the Braves. He's already, you know, he's already stolen five bases. 
He's he's slugging. He's doing everything well. He's not playing as good defense at second base as Ozzy Alpes, but just I think if if it was down, you know trying to make a choice between two guys, I think I'd probably choose Von Grissom right now. Run the hot hand, and and, and uh, you know I think this is going to work out well for the Braves. They're fighting for the the division. They're fighting for this playoff spot. You know they've got all a lot of other roles already locked up. Uh, you know don't take away you know the guy who's performing really well right now for this guy who's been performing worse, even though he is an incumbent. So uh, it works out for him, I think. And, and I think the Braves are going to be better for this. Uh, you know, we'll see. Von Grissom may have uh, something different, a different feeling when he gets into the playoffs, when those games really start to uh, ramp up in intensity. Yeah. And that's always been something that Ozzy has always thrown is, is in the postseason. He, in the clutch moment, he's always a guy that you want to, he, his heartbeat is never, never speeds up. He can take the, the, professional at bat and and in the postseason you know can, can deliver those big hits and big rbis when you need it but like matt mentioned the the good thing about the you know it's not an injury that's going to take him away from the team he can still be there as a clubhouse guy which is something that is probably more value more valuable for, than ozzy on the field is just the the type of teammate he is the clubhouse presence the energy that he brings he can still bring that from you know the dugout I mean, sure, it won't be on the field there, but you have guys like Ronald Acuna still out there. Like He'll bring the energy on the field just fine. Ozzy can still keep that dugout into it. He can bring the energy from there, and I don't think they'll miss that part of it because he'll be with them every step of the way. You'll, you'll just miss the maybe the clutch at bat here and then in the postseason. Um, but you can still have – I mean, that, that lineup is going to be just as stacked too. Dansby's been playing out, out of his mind. Austin Riley's been just as good of a season as he had last year. And then they got Matt Olson. So – yeah, that, I, I think they'll be just fine on field wise. It'll just be the uh, the clubhouse presence, which you'll still have with Ozzy for sure. But staying in that division, the team that the uh, Atlanta Braves are chasing and battling with for this division with the New York Mets, they got one of their big starters back last night, Max Scherzer. He looked really good and actually within that start uh, was able to reach the 200 career win milestone. Yeah, uh, congrats to Max Scherzer on his 200th win. That, that's really impressive. Obviously, wins aren't really that big of a, um, you know, that big of a statistic in my mind. But still, you know, I, someone did point out the other day that you know when you accumulate career wins, it means a few things. And one of them, it means you, you can't fake your way into having a lot of wins. You know, over a long period of time, you can for a couple of years. Uh, you know, there's it's more often though that a lot of pitchers who are really, really, really uh, good don't have a lot of wins than it is that a lot of pitchers who are really really bad do have a lot of wins over a long period of time and then uh, it's career longevity thing too and that's one thing to point out with Max Scherzer is that he's been around and relatively healthy for 15 years now it feels like so uh, you know that's a great accomplishment for him I mean you know you got so many big leaguers that would love to make 200 starts in their career and much less win 200 games. So congrats to him. And and then from a baseball standpoint, I know Scherzer came back. He looked really good. Um, you know, he was on a pitch count. I think he, I think he actually might've had a no hitter go in when they took him out, but he was at 67 pitches and he had a hard 70 pitch count. So, uh, they weren't going to stress it with it coming back from injury. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, they, they had a great, um, you know, he's a great pitcher, and if he's healthy, then that's a big big help for the Mets for him coming back. Matt, he had a perfect game going. Yeah, I, th- I thought he was either a no-hitter yeah. or a perfect game or something, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, the 
I I would say this is a turning point for the Mets. Uh, an older Mets would have pushed Max Scherzer to complete the perfect game or give it up, right? You're seeing a Mets team that is solely focused on winning the World Series this season, and that's dangerous because you know it's been a long time. The Mets have been kind of the laughing stock of the league for as long as I can remember, at least in since like 2015 when they lost the World Series. I mean, it's been a a struggle for them, and they've we've seen Jacob Degrom. You know, you talk about wins. I mean, Degrom won the Cy Young despite winning like 10 games because he, you know, the Mets could never get him a win when he was sitting there throwing lights out baseball. Max Scherzer hasn't had that problem this season with the Mets. He's won, I think, 10 games this season. And, you know, the win as a, as a pitcher stat, it's, it's fine if you don't allow it to, you know, sway your belief of what that player is worth, right? If you can't, you can't sit here and say, well, Max Scherzer has a lot of wins, therefore he's a good pitcher. It's Max Scherzer's a good pitcher and look at the wins he's racked up. You know, it, it's a, it's a, you got to divide that in your mind. And, and it's, I think for the longest time we used wins and win, you know, win loss record, pitcher record to determine the worth of pitchers. But Max Scherzer's been a really good pitcher for a really long time on every metric, including the win metric. So uh, that guy's a, a bulldog. He gets out there and win the games, you, wins games. You know, he hated coming out of that game with a perfect game going. He probably could have thrown 130 pitches. But the Mets made a smart decision. They they focus they're focused on the World Series. Max Scherzer, Jacob Degrom's going to be absolutely filthy in the playoffs, and I'm I'm really nervous as to whoever's going to have to face them because I don't know how you're going to score any runs. Those guys look awesome right now. Yeah, and the the only thing is they might have pushed him if he wasn't just coming off the injury and already had been battling injuries this year. I mean, you you could have seen that, but like you said, Degrom and Scherzer have looked locked in when they've been on the mound this year. Uh, but it's just the matter of when they have been on the mound this year. Are, are they going to stay healthy into the postseason? In the postseason, or are they going to stay healthy? I mean, we saw Max Scherzer last year look really good in the NLDS, and then couldn't even really pitch in the championship series due to the dead arm. Like he just the arm just mm-hmm. gave out then. Um, so you just never know. It's it's just one little thing can can you know bite a dead arm, which Scherzer's had before a back, which Scherzer's dealt with. DeGrom's dealt with his shoulder and back the past year. Um, if they can keep those guys healthy, they will be dangerous. But it's just right now, you, it, they've battled it so far. They haven't shown the ability this season to have sustained health um, and so far. But I wish I wish they do because those postseason games and those series against the Mets will be a lot of fun if you got two guys like that on the mound with the intensity that they bring um, every day. But – you know, we'll stay with the Mets a little bit here, and that just allows us to kind of look at the division that they are in with the Braves right now, battling so close there, and then just the the whole uh, you know broad landscape of of kind of the close matchups that we're looking at right now. I know we have the the wild card spots uh, there we're battling there, and I believe it's the American League Central's probably kind of opened itself back up, but we have had two divisions two divisions clinched so far. Yeah, I guess we'll start with the East since we were just talking about it. And, uh, I mean, the the East's close. I mean, the, the Braves, uh, you know, they're up what they're up by a run right now tonight in the seventh inning. The Mets are down by a run in, the uh, like, the sixth inning maybe. And um, so, you know, tonight's game, if, if, it, if the scores hold, which, which they very well might and they might not, they're both one-run games, but if the scores hold – 
then they will be tied in the division. Right now, the Mets have a one-game lead. And, uh, you know, they have uh, the schedules. I think the Mets' schedule is just a little bit easier. Uh, the Braves have the Phillies this weekend, who they actually just swept this past weekend. And the Mets have – I forgot who the Mets even have, but it wasn't somebody very good uh, this weekend. It might be the Marlins or somebody. Um, they have the – I'll look real quick. Uh, they have the A's this weekend. So, uh, definitely, uh, you know, the Mets have a little bit of a schedule advantage there. But uh, the Braves and the Mets play each other next weekend in Atlanta. Uh, which very well could be the decisive three games of this division, which the Mets led for so long. But and and the, and for that matter, the Mets haven't collapsed in this division either. They people are going to talk about they blew a ten-game lead in the division, but I mean the Bra the Mets have won a ton of games and they haven't faded. The Braves have been on like a historically good tear and honestly are really I think they might they might be like one game behind the Dodgers or one game ahead of the Dodgers even since the start of June. And record-wise, so uh, which just have been insane because the Dodgers have been insane. So uh, it'll be very interesting to see what ends up happening. I, I, you know, with the schedules the way they line up, I still probably would favor the Mets a little bit to win it, but it's going to be very close. And it'll be a really entertaining last couple weeks for for this division, and it's very important because you know, as we talked about the Mets with that one-two punch, you know, they're at a big disadvantage if those two guys have to throw in the wild card series. And then are not able to start, you know, the first couple games of a potential division series, and also the fact that they, you know, whoever is the loser of this division, if they win the wild card series, they have to play the Dodgers in the division series. So, uh, which is going to be a tough task. So we'll see what happens. I think it's going to be a really entertaining, uh, entertaining race here down the stretch in the in the NL East. Yeah, and I'll quickly note that. Uh, the other real race kind of comes in the NL wild card, where you have the Brewers two and a half games behind the Phillies. Uh, you know the Brewers have since fallen on really hard times of late after that trade deadline. Currently projected to to continue to fall uh, and not make the playoffs, and I, I think that's probably what's going to happen. Um, but the the Phillies are very vulnerable, um, and I envision that it'll be one of those two in that final wild card spot. Uh, I think the Padres are are talented enough to get there but their woes have been well documented uh you know that that team has just not meshed after the the trade deadline so um you know we'll see but the way things look right now is that the you know that wild net in a wild card while it's nearly as close as the the nl east it's really not going to matter all that much i think in the grand scheme of things because i don't think either the phillies or the brewers are a team that you could really plug into a world series contender uh, but weirder things have happened in baseball it, it really is you just have to get into the postseason and you have a chance to go all the way so um you know i nobody's going to be taking that lightly but uh, you know i don't think either of those teams are particularly strong enough to get there uh, but uh it is a two and a half game lead so uh, we'll see if the phillies can can hold them off you know that offense is Absolutely potent. Aaron Nola's having an incredible year. You know, it'll be a it'll be a tall task, I think, for them to win games in the postseason. But uh, I think the Phillies do have a a leg up on getting there over that kind of hapless Brewers right now. Yeah, the the one thing about the the Phillies and the Brewers is that the Brewers have a much easier schedule remaining than the Phillies. 
So uh, the fact the Brewers' remaining strength of schedule is a, a 4.79 winning percentage, and the Phillies is a 5.17 winning percentage remaining. So, you know, the the Phillies are going to have to play some good teams uh, here in the last couple weeks, and the Brewers' schedule is a lot more favorable. So obviously that might not matter. Uh, the Phillies have the leg up right now, but uh, we'll see what happens there. But I, I definitely think I definitely don't think it's completely over. And, uh, you know, for that matter, the Padres have a pretty tough schedule remaining as well. So I don't know if they'll end up, uh, you know, I don't know if they'll end up winning. Um, you know, I think they probably, I think they'll probably be fine. Some of their pitchers are starting to get going a little bit again. And honestly, you know, the, I was looking at their statistics and, and they have some guys who have been pretty unlucky lately, uh, including, you know, Juan Soto has been really unlucky lately on balls in play. So I think they'll be fine. Uh, definitely going to be an interesting close to that wild card race, but I think you probably end up seeing the Phillies and the Padres. But I would not completely count out the Brewers just because that pitching staff is good, and uh, you never know what might happen with the Phillies. They haven't been there in a long time, and they're feeling the pressure right now. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah and then um, just go ahead, Damian. No, no, go ahead. You finish up because I was jumping over to something else. Okay, yeah, yeah. the The last division is a it's a four game stretch, so. I would say anything five games are up with only 14, 15 to play is probably over. But the White Sox are four games behind the Guardians. And um, it, I would I would say they're right on the cusp, but they have gone on a bit of a run since Tony La Russa stepped away. I don't think that's a coincidence in the slightest. I think the White Sox were – they were one of my favorite teams coming into this year, and it has not meshed at all. They have been really not good. Uh, they didn't add at the deadline because their farm system is, quite frankly, terrible. But they're going to, you know, give it their all here the rest of the way. And four games out, they're, you know, that's one four-game set against the Guardians. I don't know if they have one left, they, but so they just start a three-game series today. Yeah, so they're playing the Guardians right now. So you know, after these three games, I think we'll have a much better understanding of whether this division is going to, you know, get closer or further apart. But the Guardians put the Twins away last weekend, um, pretty much sent them down to I think seven or eight games behind. Uh, so now, you know, the Guardians have the opportunity to put away the White Sox. And uh, the White Sox have been as good as they've been all season. They've actually won some games, gotten above 500 for the, the first time all year in the last couple of weeks. So um, this this race could come down and, and get a lot more interesting if these three games go the way of the White Sox. If the Guardians win the series, I think this division might be over. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. Um, but you never know. I mean... I think the White Sox talent levels a lot more than the Guardians and you know four games in two weeks is tough but you you never know when a team might just go on a cold stretch too so Yeah and then just um it's a very outside chance but just looking at the American League wild card the Toronto Blue Jays and the Tampa Bay Rays who are the top two wild card teams they start a four game series this weekend um starting on Thursday against each other so it'll be really interesting to see the way if anyone beats up on each other there um, and then the, I believe it's the Blue Jays have they're p- playing Houston now. They have the four game set with Toronto. They have to play Cleveland, and then they have to play Houston again before finishing the season with the Red Sox. So it's a really tough stretch there. If they, you know, tend to struggle any bit right there, like I said, it's an outside chance. But you might be able to see a team like Baltimore if they can get a little bit of a run, jump into it because um, Toronto and Tampa Bay have to face some tough competition to uh, to end the season out. But 
let's go ahead and jump over to our players of the week and go ahead and wrap this show up. So we'll start with our hitters this week, and then we'll go ahead and start with Matt, because uh, I know your hitter this week is uh, doing something that we should probably talk about in general. Yeah, um, so my hitter this week is Aaron Judge, um, which you could have named him a lot of times this year, but this week he's been especially on a tear again. Uh, he's only played five games, but he's hit four home runs in those five games. He's up to 59 on the season, which we'll talk about in a minute, but he's got a 550 average with a 640 on base and a 1.250 slugging percentage. That is a 416 WRC plus this week. He's been worth a, a full win above replacement. Uh, and, you know, just talking about how, what's that done for his season numbers. He's now up to a, um, he's now up to a 209 WRC plus on the season. Uh, he's up over 10 more on the season now, which he's, I believe he's the third player active in the big leagues to have put up a 10 win season now with, with him, Trout and Mookie Betts, I think are the three that have ever done that. I do not believe Albert Pujols has ever done that, which is pretty surprising that he didn't do it at some point when he was with the Cardinals the first time. But, uh, but the big, the big story is that he's up to 59 home runs with, I believe we got two weeks left. So, uh, you know, Rogers, Roger Maris's record is very much in jeopardy, uh, the Yankee record. And, um, you know, and that would be a huge accomplishment for, for Aaron Judge to get to that record. Uh, I think he probably does it. He's got a couple weeks left. I believe he's got 15 games left. So 14 games left after tonight, which he's actually hadn't done much tonight. So uh, he definitely has, has a chance to hit five home runs in 15 games. So we'll see if he's able to do it. But, uh you know, if he gets to 63, 64 home runs, that would just be an incredible – it's already an incredible season. That, what an incredible feat that will be, especially in a year where home runs seem to be back down just a little bit too. Yeah, and the, the one of the biggest things too is that he's only a couple batting points away from leading the triple crown categories right now. Um, I believe the, the American League batting average is 319. I want to say I could be wrong, um, but he's at 316 now. So he's he's very very close within a couple of hits of being you know the leader for the triple crown which was Miguel Cabrera the last one that did it in the American League. Yep. Yes. Yep. I think he's um, the last one that did it in general. So yep. yeah, and then on that home run record, it wouldn't just be a Yankees record; it'd be an American League record because um, the American mm-hmm. League one is is sixty one as well. Um, so it'd be a historic all around. Um, and and some people might say it's uh, the all time home run record, but you know Barry Bonds technically still has that. One. Nah. I will say that uh, for what Aaron Judge is doing, right? My favorite, one of my favorite stats, WRC plus, tells you what percentage uh, the player is better than the league around them. Aaron Judge is at two ten WRC plus, two hundred and ten. He's one hundred and ten percent better than the league around him this season as an offensive player. The last player to do that in a full season was a guy by the name of Barry Bonds. Um, so. You have never seen a season that's this much better than the the season. Like, or, sorry, the, you have never seen a season this much better than the league around it. If unless you watched Barry Bonds play baseball in two, from two thousand one to two thousand four, this is a incredible feat that Judge is pulling off because the home run is down. The league wide offensive categories are all down. Average on base slugging. Every bit of offensive value is lower, and Aaron Judge has stepped in, and he's about to break a home run record that stood for 60-something years in the AL. So 
<laughs> this is uh, an unprecedented stretch, I think, from Aaron Judge, and it's uh, a really special season. I'll transition to my player of the week as as we're here, though, and it's it's a little less about the skill and the talent and more about uh, what he's been doing off the field as well. Um, and we talked about the Tigers earlier, but Javi Baez has finally put together one of those patented Javi Baez stretches where he just hits 500 for a couple of weeks. Um, he does that a couple times a year. Usually it seems like this year he hasn't done that yet, but he finally got a hold of one. He's hit 500 in the last week, two home runs. Um, but, but the big thing that he did this week, uh, that made me want to pick him as, as my player of the week was, uh, hurricane Fiona just hit Puerto Rico and dropped a, a ton of like 25 inches of rain, uh, on the, the country of Puerto Rico. And Javi Baez is from there. So he is already, uh, sending money and, and supplies down, uh, you know, courtesy of that big contract from the Tigers, uh, to help the people of Puerto Rico. And, uh, I think that's just, he doesn't have to do that. Right. Like, <laughs> Puerto Rico is kind of under control of the U.S. and they, we, you know, the government should really be helping them. And Javi Baez has stepped out and said, "I'm, I'm helping them." You know, I, we got to help Puerto Rico, and and that's the kind of thing, the kind of leadership that, that I would want to see from from my favorite players. So, you know, Javi Baez is exciting on the baseball field, but but he's a really good guy off the field. And uh, you know, I've, I haven't watched him and, and supported him for a long time. You know, I love Javi Baez, and you know, that's that's the kind of thing I want to see my athletes doing. Yeah, and I, I think there might have been another player that was doing that too, and I don't. I, I'm it's not probably Jose Barrios, if I know anything. He's Javi's brother-in-law. Or Kike, I know Kike's done a lot. I, yeah, I'm, Kike sure, too. I'm sure a lot of I'm sure a lot of these Puerto Rican players are going to do that. I'm sure Yadier Molina will probably help out as well. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, it might have been Eddie Rosario, might have been the one, and they might have just been talking about his, you know, him being from there. And, and his, I was watching the Braves game yesterday; they're talking about it, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's unfortunate and hopefully, um, you know, hopefully everyone there is safe. I know I have some extended family that, you know, or I have a cousin by marriage that's, that family lives down there. So hope everyone in Puerto Rico is safe. And there's also, there's more trouble with hurricanes upcoming. Hopefully, hopefully not, but, uh, it looks like there's a possibility of more trouble. So, uh, that could affect the U S so, uh, hope everyone out there stays safe, but, uh, that's definitely a good gesture from, from by Javi Baez to do that. Yeah, absolutely. It's really fun to see when when professional athletes get involved and, and you know do these things that they don't necessarily have to do. Um, but you know, for my hitter this week, uh, we're jumping back to to what they've done on the field wise. It's Jordan Alvarez. Um, you know, the the week Aaron Judge had batting five fifty with a four sixteen WRC plus. Jordan Alvarez wasn't far behind a four eighty average, five hundred on base, a three ninety three WRC plus. Tied Aaron Judge for WAR this week with one. Hit one more homer, although he played one more game. But he had 11 RBIs and 10 runs this week. Just absurd numbers from Jordan Alvarez. I mean, we, I know we've talked about how good of a hitter he is and what he does for that lineup. But, man, when you have a week where he gets five homers, 10 runs, 11 RBIs, and, and helps carry that offense, it's, a, it's really fun to watch a guy like that play. Yeah, and you, you, we didn't really even mention that the Astros clinched their division. Um, but yeah. the big reason of that is, is Jordan Alvarez. I mean, he has been special this year. He's special pretty much every year um, that he's able to stay on the field. But, you know, being able to, to walk like he's walking and, and provide that kind of power. Um, he's also, you know, he's at 37 home runs, which I think goes back to, to Judge a little bit and says Judge is over 20 homers ahead of Jordan on the season. Uh, which is absolutely wild, but 
you know, Jordan's had an incredible year. He's he's essentially, you know, been the Astros leader and they just, you know, clinched the division. Uh, that offense has been led by him, but you know, you've seen Bregman, Altuve, Tucker, and Jeremy Pena all be really, really solid players. The Astros are a team with very few weaknesses. You know, we're looking ahead at the playoffs kind of always because it's it's buried down on us. We haven't we didn't really talk about the Astros at all, but they're currently the number one seed in the AL. Uh, they're going to be a dangerous out. Justin Verlander's pitching like he's 25 years old again. <laughs> Man, I mean, this this group is is going to be tough. And, you know, cheating and all that aside, they, they've won a World Series pretty recently with a lot of players that are on this roster. They've been there. Jordan hasn't, but he has hit some really big playoff home runs in the last couple of years. So, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to see what Jordan can do here in the playoffs. You know, especially, you know, if, if we got the chance to see like a Jordan versus DeGrom matchup in the World Series or something, that might be real, real special. Yeah, we've seen it. We've seen Jordan in the World Series and uh, his team want anything special. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, zero out of 10, I do not want to see a DeGrom versus Jordan World Series matchup. I don't either. <laughs> but, um, hey, but anyways, I got to gotta bring up those matchups. I don't have a team in it. <laughs> yeah, go, we're, we're a little bit biased. Right, right. But uh, if we want to move on to pitchers, I'll go ahead and start, uh, I guess. I, yep. I went. I would pick Hugh Darvish. Um, I know David was happy about that because he, he likes Hugh Darvish a lot. But, um, you know, you know, uh, Hugh Darvish had a two-start week, which obviously I always like to pick the guys on the two-start weeks. Uh, he pitched 14 innings, uh, had, I think, 15 strikeouts, uh, like one walk, uh, pretty solid there. Uh, zero runs allowed. I'd say that qualifies as pretty solid. Um, and, and you know that, that that's such an important because you know those two starts being at a time the Padres desperately needed them. Uh, they are right on that borderline of being a wild card team. They they're in right now. In fact, I think they just passed the Phillies to be the second wild card instead of the third wild card. So. Uh, they're right neck and neck with the Phillies, just a couple games above the Brewers, and they can't they can't afford to lose many games. And you know that was big for them. Uh, just a quick mention: Joe Musgrove also had a really good start this week too. So the Padres rotation definitely heating up at the right time, that they desperately needed it. So uh, you know, good for good for those guys, and especially you Darvish because he did it twice. So you Darvish is the kind of guy that is such a personality that if you don't follow him you know, like on social media or you don't, you don't like get to engage with him a lot. You won't notice it, but man, he's, he funny off the field. And he's the kind of guy that I, you know, when he left the Cubs, it was so disheartening because he was such an easily likable guy. So having you Darvish coming out, shoving as we're getting closer to the playoffs, getting ready to anchor the Padres rotation, which is a team that already has some huge expectations and huge, you know, playoff requirements that they want to win the World Series this year. I mean, they've gone all in. They've pushed all their chips to the middle. Having a guy like you, Darvish, who's been there, who suffered the you know the playoff collapses before, he's got that experience and that wisdom to be able to lead this team forward. So, you know, I, I expect I, I'm surprised by very little of you, Darvish, shoving here in September when it's time, you know, for him to turn it on and and show these young guys, you know, hey, this is how we handle ourselves coming down to to the playoffs. We got to take care of business. Yeah, you Darvish has, has been very, very good for a long time. Um, you know, outside of the, that one postseason collapse where he had with with tip and his pitches, he's been pretty good in the postseason as well. Um, 
and it's been he's really struggled to begin the year. I think he was a little bit of that sticky stuff merchant, um, but he's really found it the pat like second half of the year, and he's really found out how to shape his pitches back to what they were looking like. And um, you know, if if he doesn't get into that habit of tipping his pitches, which he, he can fall into every once in a while, he's a guy who can lead you and is one of the best pitchers in baseball um, in a rotation where the Padres are going to need that because a lot of that rotation is real questionable behind him and Musgrove. Um, with with Manaya and with uh, with Clevenger, and you just weren't sure what you're going to get out of which Snell's going to show up that day. So you need a guy like Darvish to really anchor that that uh, that pitching staff down. But uh, moving on, David, who do you have for your pitcher this week? I got a Damian guy. I got Clayton Kershaw. Goat. Listen, yeah, listen. All right, I, I, Damian and I talked about Clayton Kershaw. I think during this week, so on Twitter, we I, I was looking up just kind of perusing career stats right and i kind of was looking at jacob Degrom because i was like man he might be the best pitcher you know that that we've seen in in the last several years and i was looking at jacob Degrom's career stats and and ironically clayton kershaw has thrown about twice as many innings as jacob Degrom, and they have the same career era (laughs) the jacob Degrom would have to do what he's done a whole second time in order to reach what Clayton Kershaw has been able to do over his career. And that's career long. The last week, Clayton Kershaw had two starts. He's a .69 ERA. He's, his curveball looks, you know, he's getting on pitching ninja, throwing it 73 miles an hour, starting it, you know, a foot over the batter's head, dropping it, you know, directly to the bottom of the zone. He's he's on it right now. And, and in every way, as, as you Darvish being on is huge for the Padres, Clayton Kershaw being on is horrific news for the rest of the National League. It, it, you know, he's another guy who's had some playoff demons. If Clayton Kershaw comes out and, and gets into the playoffs and starts pitching like this, it, it's going to be real tough for anybody to hang with the Dodgers. This is absolutely huge because Clayton Kershaw is so good. He's been so good for so long. And like Damian said, he's he's pushing for, you know, first ballot Hall of Fame status. He needs to go in and just have one more great postseason. I don't think anybody is ever going to be able to. There's there's no weaknesses in his armor. He he's had a career already that could get him into the Hall of Fame. You know he's warming up. He's warming up for the postseason. This is this is looking scary for the rest of the National League. I could talk a whole hour long show about what Clayton Kershaw is, but I will keep it short here. At the age of 34, at a year when he missed last postseason because of an elbow injury. Retirement was a serious possibility this last offseason. He signed a one-year deal to try and just – he's only going to sign one-year deals and put everything into this team. Clayton Kershaw is having one of his best seasons ever at the age of 34 coming off of all of those question marks. I know he's still had some of the back issues flare up, but in 109 innings this year, a 239 ERA, a 249 expected ERA – with a 2.5 FIP and a 285 expected FIP. Like, he's been about what you could have ever hoped for from Kershaw, but he's been just about that 2012 Clayton Kershaw, who had a 253 ERA and a 289 FIP that year. And and through 227 innings, had 6.1 war. In 100 innings this year, he's at 3.4 already, which matches last year's total almost identically with, like, 15 less innings pitch. And he's helping anchor a rotation where Walker Buehler's already out, and they've already now clinched their division, which I don't think we've mentioned, um, was one of the earliest teams to ever clinch their division in the history of the game. And, and I've already 103 wins. So 
I, I could ramble on about how good Kershaw's been and what he's meant to that team and what this last week, what he just did last night with 10, 10 strikeouts and six innings and how every pitch looks just as good as it's ever been. But I'll, uh, I'll stop ranting on that point. <laughs> yeah. And I'll, I'll just add real quick. I mean, you know, if, if Clayton Kershaw is healthy, uh, you know, obviously he's had the playoff demons before, but if he's healthy, he really does elevate the, the Dodgers to the, World Series favorite because obviously they already probably are even without him but he the fact that you know that the, really the Dodgers only weakness is that pitching depth because of the injuries they've got and you know if Kershaw is healthy and stays healthy and he's ready to go in the playoffs then you know you really can run three three guys out there that are you know that should be pretty great pretty good starters and you're not going to worry about having an Andrew Heaney who's been a little inconsistent the second half of the year or Tyler Anderson or somebody being that you know third second third starter you know you can run Kershaw and Urias and Dustin May and then have one of those guys be your fourth starter if you need it and that would be your playoff rotation and that's very formidable whereas you could see a scenario where the Dodgers could struggle in a series if they're especially with the you know if it with the with those two lefties that aren't quite as they're not Kershaw level lefties being in there with Urias, it could just be a little bit, could just get a little nervous about that. But uh, definitely, uh, definitely big, big week for Kershaw. And obviously, I mean, I mirror everything y'all said, except the part that this is one of his best years because, I mean, I know he's been great, but, you know, I mean, it, think of the years he's had where he threw 227 in, 232 innings and had a 213 ERA. I mean, I don't think this really trumps that, but obviously he's been really good this year on a rate basis, which is awesome. And, and I'm happy to see him out there and, and able to do it still at age 34. So, yeah, it's been really, been really fun to watch, but we'll go from the, the two wily veterans you want to say to one of the, the young guys here who has just made his major league debut just a couple weeks ago uh, for my pitcher this week. And it's going to be Hayden Wesneski. Um, you know, on the week only had the one start against Colorado, but it was seven innings of one run ball there. Um, you know, I believe six of them, I believe the first six were shutout innings as well. Got a little bit rocked up there in the, in the, uh, in the seventh inning, but seven strikeouts, no walks. Uh, we, David and I saw the guy make his major league debut when I was there for Wrigley. Um, and he was absolutely electric pumping 96, 97 with a wipeout slider. Um, that just looked absolutely disgusting. And then a curveball that I don't think many people even realized he had once he came over from the the Yankees really had him stop throwing it. And once he came back over to the Cubs, they had him start throwing it more and more. And it actually looked like a really good third pitch as well um, up there. And, and his family was insane. So it was fun to to be there for that moment. And then the week he had just made me want to to say that story and uh, you know give him a little bit of a shout out because I think it was only his second career start actually. No, it was his first actual start. Because uh, yeah. he came in out of the bullpen both times before that, he's looked really, really good. And you know, it's it's been a bit of a, a struggle for the Cubs to develop the starting pitching. They really just this year have finally started to home grow some of this pitching. But how huge it has been to be able to pick up a guy like Hayden Wesneski, who definitely he he might never be a you know. 12 strikeouts per nine innings kind of a starting pitcher, ace-level guy. But this is a guy who can rather easily, I think, be a rock-solid starting pitcher in, in Major League Baseball. Um, you, you know, he, he's got the, the weapons. He throws hard enough. 
you know, his, his delivery is a little herky jerky, which makes it a little confusing for the hitters, but it's also pretty mechanically sound and doesn't look all that, you know, not repeatable. Uh, his command is really good as evidenced by this first start with no walks. And he's got a really supportive family, man. We, we got, we saw him, we, we, I fist bumped one of them walking by, like they're, they're a really great group. And I really wish for nothing but success from this kid. He's, He's really exciting, and I'm really looking forward to following his career. He's he's the kind of guy who's real easy to root for. Absolutely, but uh, before we wrap this show up, anything either one of you guys want to want to hit on? Um, I don't think so. Uh, just a couple weeks left, and uh, we're almost uh, you know we're almost there to the end of the regular season, and um, you know I'm I'm excited to see what happens. I mean, I think that. You know, we've got three or four. It's not the craziest vision year. It's not 2011 all over again. But we've got three or four pretty close races uh, that are going to be fun to fun to watch. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a fun finish this season. I'm excited. We'll, uh, you know, we'll be be back next week to talk about the final week of the season, which it's just crazy to me that it's already here. Three things. One, Albert Pujols is at 698. So I know we didn't talk about him today, but he he has cooled off a little bit since we talked about him a couple of weeks ago. You sure it's not four ninety eight? Pretty sure. No. That's what Davey said last week. Yeah, no. last week I messed up and I said four four hundred ninety seven homers. So. Uh, well, he's gotten one since last week. It looks like so. <laughs> uh, there's that. Kyle Schwarber just hit his fortieth home run, which means that somebody might get within twenty home runs of Aaron Judge. Um, <laughs> which is hilarious to say. And then uh, the last thing would be, uh, I guess I'm just ready for the off season. Oh, the Cubs <laughs> didn't lose a hundred games. That's what it was. Oh, Won their 63rd tonight. Kind of surprised. Yay. Congrats. <laughs> yeah. Yay. That's not, that's not what we should be happy about at all, but all right. Yeah. That, that was it. What better way to wrap up episode 97 of the Batflip podcast than that? I can't think of one honestly. But, you know, thank you guys for tuning in. Hope you guys enjoy it and we'll catch you guys next week. Thanks everybody. Mm-hmm.